You're listening to the Punk Theology Podcast. This would be Season 3. And this would be Episode Number 2. I'm your host, Russ Shaw. Today, our first honored guest of Season 3. You may know him from the Sundance television series, One Punk Under God. He is the author of Son of a Preacher Man, subtitled My Search for Grace in the Shadows. Why? Maybe in part because he's the son of televangelists uh, Jim Baker and Tammy Faye Baker-Mesner. He's also the author of Faith, Doubt, and Other Lines I've Crossed, and another book titled Fall to Grace, subtitled A Revolution of God, Self, and Society. So today on the Punk Theology Podcast, we are proud to introduce Jay Baker, stopping by the show. And hey, as to not miss another PT Podcast, hit that subscribe button, will ya? Gonna get right into it. And Jay Baker, welcome to the Punk Theology Podcast, my friend. Thank you. Great to be here. Jay, uh, you you are a super interesting person. I'm so glad you stopped by this show. Uh, Jay's been on Mark Marin's WTF, uh, Drunk Ex Pastors. You've been on yeah. the news circuit. You were interviewed by Larry King, Jay. That's he amazing. Died. Yeah, it's true. He's like my talk show guru. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty amazing. That's something I find really interesting about your story. Like you, you were a child during uh, like Christianity's, you know, American evangelicalism sort of grew into its own thing, and then there was this spiritual Chernobyl-like experience um, with that whole scandal. And, and you, you were just a kid when, when the reactor blew up, right? Yeah, I was 11 years old when everything uh, fell apart. Man, and how, you know, I'm try, trying to put myself in your shoes as an 11-year-old going through yeah. that. And I've heard you on other, you know, I don't want to rehash a lot of stuff that you've already talked about on some other podcasts and stuff, but getting into the emotional part of that, like like feeling it as an 11-year-old, sort of, I, I imagine it's kind of like going through a divorce, right? That's probably a pretty good explanation. I mean, it was really tough because it was, not only my parents had this huge scandal, but, you know, the church was where my school was and where I played with my friends. And my whole life was based around that church. So everything was gone, you know, so you kind of lost everything at once. And um, I think you, you go into a bit of denial, but also at the same time, I mean, I remember time just bawling as a little kid. We had to move out of our house because it was the parsonage owned by the church. And, um, yeah, it was, it was just like a bomb going off. Everything you knew was over. Yeah. I used that analogy of Chernobyl on a, a recent post I made on a group, uh, being a part of the whole Mars Hill thing here in Seattle. Oh, yeah. That's five years now. We're coming up on the five-year anniversary of, of that whole thing, and it felt like 
you know, like a spiritual Chernobyl. My wife and I watched the, the documentary. It was a, a drama show. I mean, it was about uh, on HBO. Um, there's documentaries too, but the show on HBO was really good. The way it got into the emotional. There were so many similarities of keeping secrets, you know, and, and trusting ultimate authority. Like these guys got all this understood. It's going to be fine. And just kind of waiting, waiting it out or trusting people that really, you know, weren't trustworthy, right? Yeah, I didn't even know there was a documentary about it. That's amazing. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's strange. I mean, I had so many people from that church who would come after me, you know, or when they left the church, you know, come to me for support. It was really a bizarre thing. You know, or ex-Christians who would come up to me and be like, I used to believe what you believe. But I don't believe in that shit anymore. And I'd be like, well, where did you go to church? You know, and they were, and this is when I was in, visiting Seattle, and they were like, oh, Mars Hill. I'm like, well, I didn't believe in any of that stuff anyway. So right. whatever you gave up, you know, I gave up a long time ago. Yeah, that's a lot of uh, some of my, my conversations with the atheists. I find myself putting myself in their shoes and going, yeah, man, I don't believe in that God either. Like, I really don't. Yeah. Whatever God that you walked away from, sounds more like Zeus or right or some kind of punitive thing um, to me and I'm not I'm a very different Christian than I was you know I mean you, you see all this stuff recently you know you got the Willow Creek uh, deal going on harvest with James McDonald um, it's really hard for these guys to hide that stuff in the dark you know, in 2019, isn't it, Jay? Yeah, it really is. Because in the 80s, uh, who ended up breaking that story? I mean... Well, I, it all happened kind of... It's weird because it was kind of interwoven. Um, Jerry Falwell was the one who originally came to my parents and said, hey, this story's about to come out. You know, would you like to, you know, we want to help you. That right. type of thing. Right. And... Um, of course, my parents were like, of course, we want your help. I mean, I think the Charlotte Observer, the newspaper, maybe been the one who kind of started breaking all the news, but it was on the news. It was everywhere. It yeah. was Saturday Night Live, Johnny Carson, you know, all of it. So it wasn't one of those things that was just, you know, it didn't seem like it was just one news source. It seemed like it was multiple news sources. And and you become it's funny how people like sought you out too, because you've been through it, you know, and you have that experience. And I imagine that uh, some of what you do now, I w I was reading some uh, reviews about like your church and stuff like that, and and what I really love about you is you've become um, this guy who helps hurt people. Yeah. It wasn't even not a plan. It just kind of that's who seemed to be drawn to what I do. Yeah, and a lot of this has to do with you know people don't realize that things that happen in our childhood we don't sign up for that. You know, like you don't get to yeah. pick your family, right? right. We're, we're just tossed into this this soup, this river called life, and. Uh, as a kid, you just grow up in what's what's called a social norm, thinking that that's what life is. And 
I imagine from 11 years old to, to being a teenager, like you got some, dude, you got some pretty harsh uh, invitations to, to life and security and trust, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, just, you know, I went to a Christian school after all that happened. And even the, the teachers were mean to me because, you know, they didn't like my parents or whatever. I mean, it was just it was such a strange surreal world to be living in, you know, and then my dad went through his trial and went to prison and all that stuff, and that was all over the TV and, you know, getting fist fights in high school over just, you know, people talking. It was really tough. I imagine. That could that could toughen you up, right? I yeah. Mean, you probably I mean, had to learn it, to it, fight it does. as a I mean, kid. Luckily, it allowed me to have empathy for people more than anger. Yeah. So, that, that was that's a plus that came out of it. I imagine, though, you, you had to be dealing with some anger, though, too, right? I mean, how did that, oh, how did anger, like... Tons of anger. Right. How did that kind of play itself out in your life as, as a younger guy? I didn't like church, drugs, and alcohol, being angry at Christians, you know, for how they reacted. Right. You know, thinking, you know, they just throw their own away. Yeah. felt kind of crazy. Yeah. You know, um, it was, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it played out in so many different ways. I'm just glad I was able to survive it, you know? I mean, it unfortunately, you know, followed me into adulthood with, you know, my personality and with different things like that, and some good and some bad, you know, and Stuff that I've still kind of worked through and working through in therapy. Yeah. Yeah, me too, man. And uh, that's something we both share is is having uh, issues with addiction. Um, and a lot of, you know, studying addiction for 13 years, one of the things I've really seen is the, the link from, you know, having trust broken, not knowing who you can trust, that leading to anxiety and or depression, which, you know, the progression of that usually is uh, addictive behavior. But you had yeah. your, your truster broken really early. I mean, when, about when was the time that you, you started to, I mean, besides the teachers and just kind of surface level bullying bullshit that you had to deal with, was there a, was there a point at which um, in your story where maybe you reached in therapy or something like that, where you went, oh, I can point to that as to where I, I lost a big chunk of my trust. You know, no, I mean, it's taken so many years. I mean, I just reached in one area, I mean, in my own life personally that I just touched, you know, um, dealing with that stuff and I'm 43. Right. So, you know, it's taken a long time to kind of sift through the ashes and, uh, and pinpoint exactly what was going on, you know. Um, it's hard. It was hard to watch such a huge failure and such a huge scandal and watch your family go through so much and, you know, spending Christmases in visiting rooms and prisons and you know, I mean, just night and day life. So my brain was, you know, pretty traumatized by it. 
Yeah. Um, not to say there's not a lot of people who have it, definitely have it worse off, but it definitely set something in my life where, you know, I mean, it kind of also gave me a heart for the underdog and for people who are outcast and people who don't fit into the church and people who've been told that they don't belong. And, um, you know, I even remember when all that stuff happened with Mark Driscoll, you know, thinking about his kids and what they were going through. Yeah. You know, and he had mentioned something about his son and people were making fun of it online. And, you know, I just said, you know, this kid's got nothing to do with this. You know, this isn't fair to go after his kid. You know, it it was just weird to me because this time it was the left. You know, it wasn't the conservative, the Christian right coming after him. It was more the left. And seeing the left repeat the same pattern as the right really was disillusioning. That when anger turns to you know projection to judge it or have a bad guy for it so they can feel better. Yeah, they want to. Yeah, they need somebody to scapegoat so they you know bring them together. Yeah, you know, and that's what the the right had done most of my life. The conservative evangelical church had done most of my life and had always had common enemies. You know. So I thought if I ran to the left, I would be safe there. And I was mostly safe. Yeah. But what I realized is that they had common enemies as well. You know, people they were willing to throw under the bus or or speak unkindly of and not show grace. And that wasn't my understanding of grace. And so that was really, really messed with my mind, really messed with my head. I mean, that's when I kind of realized that. I don't really feel like I belong on either side. Yeah, me, you and me both, brother. Like that's yeah. one of, one of the things I've realized. My my friend, uh, my buddy John, one of our punk theologists, he he would say, uh, you know, I'm too I'm too liberal for my conservative friends, and I'm too conservative for my liberal friends. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I really resonate with that. So true. Because, you know, it's dropping down into that, like, when you drop below, when you see, you know, when you're given a glimpse to the underbelly, right? Yeah. It gives you a different perspective. And it can, it can, if we let it, give us a lot of empathy for the the outcast, you know. And that's, you know, that's one of my things about... Christianity and why I still label myself a, a Christian. I is Jesus. That's man. That's Jesus. Jesus did that, right? Yeah. His, his I mean, harsh he loved, his words. I mean, loving your enemies is a huge thing, you know. And and having harsher words for the religious elitists than he did for the sex workers. And, yeah. And the crooks, you know, people who would dehumanized people. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I, I land. I identify now as a Christian mystic spiritual anarchist, so... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It uh, puts me in a weird camp, but I'm I'm okay with that. Um, yeah. How's your relationship with uh, with your folks now? I mean, I know your mom passed away in 2007. That's another thing you and I share. My mom passed away just a few years ago. Um, but But your dad... You, you guys still talk? You're still on good uh, good terms? Um, we honestly don't talk that much. Um, only seen each other a handful of times, probably in the past, oh gosh, 10 years. Um, you know, maybe five times. 
I mean, some of that has to do with distance, but also, you know, we do have extremely different thoughts and theology, and our politics are very different. And so, yeah, we we don't talk as much as I'd like to. And, that, and you know, that's tough because, you know, I don't want to cut somebody off because I don't agree with their politics. You know, I don't want to throw anybody out because of that. Um, I mean, there's deeper reasons we have issues right? going back to my childhood, you know. But it's still, you know, one of those things where, People always come after me, you know, like, why don't you straighten your father out and all this kind of stuff? And it's really strange because it's like I can't barely straighten myself out, much less <laughs> anybody else, and then, right. you know, much less my dad. Yeah, you know. So, and it also seems like there's people that kind of it's almost like they kind of want you to reject your dad. Like, hey, man, if you never yeah. talked to your dad again and said "fuck you," go live your life and you know, kiss off. Like, for some people, that makes a lot of sense. Right, but that's not you. Yeah, right. This is not me. No, I mean he's he's the grandfather to my kids. You know, it's like I want the kids to have a grandpa. You know, another yeah. grandpa, and um, they don't have they missed out on ever getting the chance to know their grandmother. You know, I'm not going to let people dictate who I am or what my life is anymore. Right, there was a time where I may have let that happen, um, but it led to a world of pain and hurt, not just for me, but even for those people. And, uh, so I just don't live that way anymore. Right. I mean, either, at least I'm working towards that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some days, some days are better than others, man. But, right. uh, yeah, I feel you. Um, your mom w was a fascinating woman. Uh, my wife loved your mom so much. Like, and we both, you know, with our own spiritual abuse issues, you know, we both had our, our things, but I remember when your mom was on a reality show. My wife loves reality shows, and she was on The Surreal Life. Yeah. Um, and they put they put your mom in the same room with Ron Jeremy, <laughs> porn star. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, and it was really cool to see how your mom was so graceful with him. Like, it wasn't what I expected, you know? Yeah, they stayed friends for, you know, up until her death. Wow, yeah. I mean, it's just the way they, they had this chemistry in, in their relationship with each other that I found super interesting. Yeah, it was really cool. It was one of those, yeah. I mean, I remember having a pretty emotional moment one time watching the surreal life when my mom was just sitting there braiding this other, you know, this porn star's hair and one of John Jeremy's friends over at the house, you know, and just talking to her, you know, and it was just, just being human. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, wow, that's my mom. I was really proud of her. Yeah. So I remember telling her not to do this in real life. You know, I was like, don't do it, don't do it. And she did it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, it was really great for her. Yeah, it was beautiful to see her to see her in that place. And, and it's kind of cool to see how people move, right? Like, they don't stay stuck in a, in a... No one's, no one's like, you know, just sitting there being them at that point in history. It's sort of a weird thing that we judge in people, I think, is, is we see someone and we just think, well, that's them. No, it isn't. People change. People grow. People are moving through time and experience and situations. Yeah, I mean, we do not let people evolve often, and that's hard for me. I mean, I just said, you know, recently on Twitter, I was just saying, do we have room for people to grow and change yeah. and get to where we want them to be? Um, a lot of people were saying, oh, I'm not going to go to this festival because so-and-so is going to be there. 
you know, and I'm like, well, you know, I really feel like they're in the process of being in a better place. Yeah. You know, do we, do we not allow for that growth or do we not somehow even interject and help with that growth rather than, um, boycott or reject or react so quickly? Yeah, that's an interesting trend in, in pop culture that I've noticed too, um, and it, and it seems, it's funny because growing up in the 80s, it seems very kind of uh, fundamentalist Christian, but it's not. Yeah. It's it's sort of, you know, millennial judgment of uh, somebody did something, that person is, is you know, they, they wear the scarlet letter for the rest of their life, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of shaming, especially when now it's online. Oh, yeah. I couldn't imagine. I mean, I was bullied too as a kid. Social media today, like it, it doesn't stop today. I heard a one kid saying that you know, back in the day, I, you and I could go home from school and at least be in our room and be alone. But it doesn't yeah. stop. Uh, your mom was on RuPaul, which I thought was really cool too. Yeah, she had uh, relationships with with. I mean, how how was her her life in in that area? And oh, I mean, she went to parades and book signings at LGBTQ bookstores, and you know, she took me to to you know affirming churches before I really knew what it was. Before I was affirming, and uh, it was really eye opening and amazing. You know, it was kind of a interesting to see the part that she played in that in my own work with uh, LGBTQ folks. So is that, that was something like your uh, you're learning, you're growing to, to accept, so your mom was influential in that, but it, it took a little more to, to kind of push you into like being full affirming? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, at the time I was probably a little bit more literalist in the Bible and I wanted to understand what the Bible was saying and um, talking with different folks and you know I also knew it was career suicide yeah, you know that's true so I don't know it was really strange it was a strange strange time um, but when I did it I knew it was something I needed to do and I should have done it a long time ago um, you know I lost majority of my congregation and majority of my speaking engagements and all that kind of stuff but uh it was definitely something that i felt was worth it and i've always been one to not back down from a fight or from a conviction really i i feel you for me uh i've i started podcasting talking about how i didn't get why Christians wouldn't allow like gay people to to get married, for example, you know, because if you're going to be a literalist, for me, like you look in the Bible and it, it talks about divorce, right? Like Jesus has some pretty harsh words about divorce, because because Christians will say, well, well, they're practicing, they're in the ongoing practice of sin, Russ, right? Well, Jesus said. That if you divorce someone and marry someone else, you're in the ongoing practice of sin. So, even as a literalist, I'm sitting there going, "Well, if you can't allow gay people to get married, why aren't you, why aren't you asking all the divorced people to to get divorced and <laughs> right, like remarry the married, first person?" Yeah. Exactly. And like Matthew five, to me, it just seems like 
Jesus just ups the bar so high on the religious elites of his day, right? The Pharisees, to, to get them to understand that, hey, you know, your law making and your law abiding and your obedience, it ain't cutting it, right? Like, yeah. be perfect. Like, it's how he ends it, right? Like, be perfect, you know? And we walk away scratching our heads, you know? that That's, uh, that's kind of where I landed. But over the years, you know, becoming uh, more affirming has is, is been being around that community and, and hearing their stories and realizing that, you know, this isn't like addiction, you know, something you can go into right. a, a program for and pray away the gay. There's been so many books written by former um, conversion therapy counselors, right? Exodus International doesn't exist anymore because right. they saw how much damage they were doing. You know, if that doesn't, like, it, it blows my mind, Jay, that, that the larger Christian community doesn't see that. It's just easier to otherize them, isn't it? Yeah. Instead of being yeah, I mean, curious. It's the fact that they don't see the fruit of what's happening, you know, it's like suicide and homelessness and split families, you know, doesn't seem like something um, that is very Christ-like. Exactly. And the lack of curiosity is one for me, too. Um, it's one of the practices we do in our, our punk theology as a group. Um, my friend Jim Henderson came up with these three practices, and one of them is is being unusually curious in your ideological other rather than trying to be right. Uh, yeah. And and that's something that's really missing from culture. That's sort of why the punk, right, that's countercultural, being, being unusually curious. Uh, going back to one of the things that, that you and I share um what trying to trying to see how i put this into a form of a question uh dealing with depression um yep. that that has been something that's been on and off in your your life as well yeah uh, unfortunately mostly on but yeah yeah it's it's a it's a real uh it's been really tough yeah, for me too. I was uh, diagnosed a major depressive disorder, uh, PTSD. Uh, you know, having those on my medical record hasn't been super positive. <laughs> as <far> right. As, <laughs> as far as career advancement and things like that. Um, but healing from it and realizing it's there has been incredibly healing. Um. I have uh, been dealing with depression probably since, been getting it treated probably since I was 15, mm-hmm. maybe even younger. I've had uh, DBT therapy, which is dialectic behavior therapy, which really helped. I even had electric shock therapy, oh, wow. um, ECT, mm-hmm. uh, to help me with it. Um, I have tried multiple medications and different things like that. And, it's really tough. I mean, going through, uh, I've been married twice, um, and going through divorce, uh, when you deal with depression, your wires get crossed, you know, and it's hard to separate, uh, the reality of what's going on sometimes from what the depression is doing as well. And it's like an amplifier for yeah. pain. And so it's been, uh, I mean, I'll tell you the past, my past year of my life has been probably the hardest year I've had, uh, going through my divorce Mm. so you know but it's caused me to buckle down and 
really concentrate on my therapy and help a lot. Uh, I've, I've been helped a lot by my therapist and, you know, I feel like the past month and a half has been, you know, maybe less even has been really good and really got back on my feet and really thrown myself back into my work, you know, but it took a while and it, you know, and it's still a struggle, you know, the depressed, depressed feelings still creep in, you know, and it's just like, you know, checking in with myself and going, okay, where is this coming from? And, what is this aimed at? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. That's so important. So when did you start uh, treating that feeling? And, you know, alcohol is a way that uh, guys like you and I can, can treat that feeling, right? I mean, when yeah. when did that start? Uh, probably when I was 11 or 12. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I started drinking quite, quite young. And what was your, like, rock bottom moment? That's not a, a word I, I totally, I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> I have uh, I have questions around that word. I'm not, it's not yeah. my favorite word, but, you know, if someone was to ask you about your rock bottom moment, what did, what did that look like? What, do, what made you make the decision to uh, start recovery the recovery process um well i was miserable and i was putting other people in danger you know i was blacking out and i was driving and i just couldn't make sense out of anything i didn't know how to be happy anymore i didn't know how to really feel anything without alcohol yeah i didn't know how to associate or socialize with people i mean i'm still very introverted yeah so it's still a struggle but you know, it seemed like those alcohol was the one thing that gave me the power to to do certain things. And uh, but the problem was I couldn't stop. You know, right. Once I started, and that was it. You know, I and mean, I was on. And uh, and so just popping up into different places, not remembering hours of what was going on in my life, and um, and I think you know showing up at home and not knowing how I got home and sometimes finding myself sleeping outside of the house. I just said, you know, this God, this isn't, this doesn't seem normal, you know? And, uh, so I went to, it was my second AA meeting where I was really like, this is something for me. You know, the first one I was like, ah, I don't think this is me. But the second one I was like, oh yeah, this is me. Was it somebody else's story or just resonating with that group of folks? It was just resonating with that group of folks, yeah. listening to what they were saying and going like, oh, you know, because I, I wasn't even 21. So I was like, oh, you know, I'm just having fun, you know, I, you know, but it wasn't fun. Yeah, just being in a room with people who were going through the same thing that I was, and it just kind of woke me up. Yeah. And uh, I said, all right, I'll give this a try. And I remember thinking I had joined a cult at first. I was like, this is, I don't know about this. And, uh, you know. Did that shape some of your uh, being a pastor today? Uh, some of how you approach spirituality or maybe why you're still in it? Yeah, definitely. You know, even showed me more about grace and admitting who I am and being what I am. And, you know, not looking for someone else to blame. You know, which I think I did a lot of my earlier life on, was blaming other people for my own problems. Um, 
so yeah, it definitely shaped and 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 put me in a place where uh, I saw things differently and 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 saw community differently. I've 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 been asked the question like you know if I'm going to go to a church, Russ, like which what kind of church should I look for? And and it, like if you've never been to a recovery group, like, I don't know how to answer that question because I think it should, yeah. it should kind of look like a recovery group, you know. Um, I heard a guy. A uh, fellow podcaster said that, you know, going into recovery and sitting in that circle group of chairs, it's sort of like feeling like you're a three-legged dog all your life. And then you walk into a room and you finally realize that you're in a room with a bunch of other three-legged dogs. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. Pretty, that's pretty beautiful. And that's how, that's what, I don't know, I think that's the beauty of spiritual community. When people kind of let down their guard and and are being in it, Right. Yeah, and it's sad because I feel like the church is not a place where a lot of people feel like they can let their guard down. You know, I feel like it's, you know, kind of, you know, you you put up your guard when you walk into church often now yeah. because of, you know, everything we've seen in the past and all the wounds and things that have happened, you know, by the church and through the church. And uh, AA seems to be, you know, so different that you're coming as you are. And, you know, there is no, you should be this. There's only, you know, recommendations. Yeah, and there's just honesty and that interesting dialogue, you know, you, you think about philosophy and storytelling and this, uh, the idea of comedy versus tragedy is, is being played out in people's lives, like right there in that group. Like you get to hear the sediment that's, that's down in there kind of come to the surface, right? Yeah. Totally. Have you witnessed some of that being a, a, a pastor? A ton, you know. I mean, you, know, you witness all sorts of things being a pastor. Marrying kids, you know, or 18, you know, uh, or, you know, dealing with people with addictions and yeah. self-doubt and their own depression and, you know, marriages falling apart and children being born. I mean, it's you know, you're watching kind of like the circle of life, right? Hap, you know, unfold in front of you. And you get, you know, and people let you in, right? Like people let some people, in. yeah, yeah. It's it's beautiful what you're doing, man. Um, you know, you've been coined like progressive Christian. Like it's now now it's like a label, right? No, definitely, yeah. I mean, I yeah. I mean, I have people come after me all the time. You know. Over me, you know. Oh, you're just one of those progressives, and you've given in to this and given up that. Right. I'm like, well, you know, I don't really hold myself to either place at this point in my life. Yeah, and I don't think it's that black and white, you know, either. No. Like it's, it's just easy to say. Even Larry King, you know, you were, when you were on his show, and he's just firing these questions at you, like, so you don't believe it anymore, you know? What do you believe? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, people are. <laughs> It's hard for people to wrap their minds around it because they have such a black and white thinking of what Christianity is, you know, and, and fundamentalists, you know, or in a certain way. And I think a lot of, you know, they read the Bible literally. And I think, you know, often atheists read the Bible literally. Because mm -hmm. if I did, I'd probably be an atheist as well. You know, um, you know, so you've got this idea of what it is and isn't and what it's supposed to be. And, you know, people don't know what the Bible is. And, don't realize it's just a collection of books put together over time and and 
that it's not infallible and you know and there's forgeries and there's all sorts of problems with it but they just kind of get these easy snippets of what it means to be a christian or, or what they think it is to be a christian and yeah you can't really blame them if that's all they've got to go on and and it's kind of like your story man and meeting them where they're at um is difficult but that's Paul Young is a guy I had on the show, the author of The Shack, and he talks about them them being his people, right? Like having them protest at church at his speaking events and then and then, you know, hey, hey, you know you read the book and no one read the book. Right. Right? But they're out there protesting and this one woman's like, Well the Bible says this. He's like, Well, you know, it wasn't written in English. She's like, yes, it was. I have it right here. The King James Bible. It's written in English. Like, no, <laughs> those words are those words are written in a different language. You know, uh, and, and that's some of my frustration too. Like, just in English, there's over a hundred different translations of the Bible. There's over three, thirty-three thousand denominations of Christianity in the world. Like, no one's agreeing on this stuff. No, no, they they continue to grow. <laughs> yeah. So, getting into comedy, Jay, that's been uh, your your uh, your title now, pastor and comedian. Uh, what? <laughs> right? I love I've that. I've not heard that, but... Uh, well, I, I'm, I, I, there you go. I just gave it to you, so... Thank you. I'll take it. <laughs> it's your, it's your, new, your new title. You can put that on your resume or business card or something. <laughs> <laughs> but you did a thing uh, with, a, with a comedian... Uh, Kristen Becker called "Loosening yeah. the Bible Belt." I love that title. Tell 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 us more. Well, um, we uh, Kristen reached out to me four or five years ago and just said she liked my work and wanted to do something with me. And I'm like, "Well, you're you know a comedian and you're not a Christian and." You know, what do you, you know, this doesn't make any sense. What do you want me to do? I'm not a comedian, and I'm a Christian. You know, where do we fit in together? And she goes, well, you know, you come talk about you should work with LGBTQ folks. I'll do some comedy. We'll bring in some musicians and stuff, and we'll just kind of do something. And we'll go down south and see if we can get people to start talking to each other. Yeah. And, um you know, show people by, by basically lead by example. You know, like, we can work together. You can work together. Like, yeah. Yeah, sure. It sounds like a great idea, thinking it would never come to pass. But Kristen is, uh, makes things happen. She just doesn't take no for an answer, and she just keeps keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. And I was like, you know, to the point where the next thing I knew, I was in a van for a few weeks with, you know, a comedian and an atheist comedian and a musician who sings dirty songs on the ukulele. <laughs> and... Um, and the next thing I knew, you know, there we were on the road down south, uh, you know, where I, I was pretty much grew up most of my life in the south, but it was, you know, it was a bit different right. when we started, you know. People were either really into it or really out of it. You could kind of always, you know, you could see the crowd of, like, the shift that happened in the crowd when, you know, who was there for who, you know. Yeah. Oh, here's the guy with God talk. Oh, we're here to see the comedian, you know. Um, but yeah. ultimately it worked out and we're still doing it. And so, um, that's awesome. Smith started and... a podcast for it too. So it's pretty exciting to see what's come out of it. Oh, cool. What's the podcast called? Well, the podcast is going to be called loosen the Bible belt as well. Nice. And, um, 
helping uh, raise funds for uh, something called uh, Summer SAS, where kids can go get safe work during the summer, you know, and not be treated differently or, you know, if they're in an unsafe environment, they can get away for a little while and, and try to get their heads together. Mm-hmm. So it's really rewarding work, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to be a part of it. I mean, I definitely feel like I have learned a lot being on the road on that tour and, and seeing a lot, you know. So you did like a tour, so you went to bars and what, what were the venues like? Oh, we went to bars, we went to church buildings, we went to clubs, uh, museums even, I think we did one in a museum. So, yeah, you never knew what you were going to see the next town you showed up in. Any uh, interesting stories from that tour? Um... You know, I had one where I think we were going into Mississippi and we stopped at the Welcome Center. The guy at the Welcome Center was wearing a rebel flag hat. Uh And so I was just like, hey, you know, listen, this is, you know, you're working for the state and this is a Welcome Center. And I said, you know, you're wearing this hat that really has a mixed message to it and, you know, doesn't seem a lot of, you know, probably very welcoming to you know my African American brothers and sisters, and I'm like, you know, why, why, what's what's the idea behind that? And we started having this huge argument. Now this guy was probably <laughs> two, three hundred pounds bigger than me, right? Um, he could have squashed me, um, you know. And we had a pretty intense conversation. You know, <laughs> and he's, I'm a Christian, and I'm like, well, you know what? The funny thing is, I'm a pastor, you know. And I started talking to him about it. Like, you know, what about loving your neighbor as yourself? You know, and I said, you know, I know this might mean one thing to you, but, you know, it means something else to them. It makes them feel uncomfortable and unwelcome, you know, and this, ironically, is a welcome center, you know, and, uh, you know, luckily we had some some folks on the bus who came out and got me before anything got too crazy. Right. Um, You know, but you just have to watch out for each other a little bit more, you know, because we went to some really crazy places, so, but that was one of the stories. Um, you know, and things like that would just happen, you know, a little yeah. trouble here and there. Yeah. No protesters. No, I don't think so. You know, threats yeah. of protesting, but, you know, when it came down to it, I don't think we had a lot of protesters. That's what the cool thing about being with, you know, a mixed crowd like that is, is, you know, they give up on it. I guess when you call yourself a Christian thing, <laughs> Maybe you attract more yeah. flies. What do you think about again? Uh, my friend Paul Young coined this phrase: "Certainty addiction." Addiction to certainty is very comforting when you're in it. Yeah. Um, until cracks start to show, you know, and then questions start to come up, and loved ones start to die, and marriages fall apart, and God doesn't appear. Um, it becomes pretty, you know, uncertainty rattles you to your core because you've been handed or raised or given or born somewhere where you've been bestowed upon, you know, certainty has been bestowed upon you. And I just think it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous thing, you know. It's, uh, it's a setup for failure. You know, it doesn't last long and it ultimately ends in, people turning on each other and destroying each other, you know, yeah. because they see cracks in somebody else. And so they just say, well, get out of here. 
rather than realizing that we're all cracked and we're all fallen, we're all screwed up, you know, we're all humans going through a human experience. You know, I think legalism is one of the worst things that comes out of certainty is, uh, you know, the idea that we have the answers. Yeah. And, uh, and what we do to people when, when they have different answers. Yeah, the, and then what we do to ourselves when our answers start to change. Yeah, when you have to go through a, a mourning period of losing certainty, and it will still haunt you. It's still a haunting presence in my life. That's why I like Pete Rollins' work is it's you know very freeing of certainty. I mean, he's also my best friend, but you know he deals a lot with that. You know, helping people free people from their addiction to certainty. Yeah, embraced out the pyrotheologist. Yep. Life, life before death. Do we dare? <laughs> Do we dare, Jay Baker, to pursue life before death? <laughs> you know, uh, that's so true. Uh, and it's pretty great when you do decide to pursue life before death. Um, it's pretty amazing when heaven and hell don't become the goal of the payoff anymore. Yeah, I think as the world gets more connected, you know, that's one thing about. The, one of the good things about social media is it's really hard for certainty addicts to hide. It's really hard for people with a lot of secrets and 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 things in their closet. It's really hard for them to hide that stuff today. And so it's sort of like this. I was just thinking about uh, like multi-level marketing schemes, like these pyramid schemes. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like an in intellectual kind of existential pyramid scheme that's breaking down you know it's ran out of of things of value to offer to sell to the world and people can see through it now right yeah and if it's only built on that certainty like it's maybe there'll be some cults you know that'll still hold together because yeah. they don't allow computers or the devil or something <laughs> i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I just read a John Caputo book called Hoping Against Hope, and he really deconstructs the whole thing. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Hoping Against Hope. Okay. What? Yeah, by John Caputo. He's a, he's a radical theologian yeah. and uh, kind of out of the death of God movement. And uh, it's scary because he really, you know, I didn't think I had a whole lot of certainty left in me. And I read his book, and I was like, oh, dang. You know, he's shaking the certainty I have left. This is pretty scary. <laughs> right. That's, but isn't that real faith, though, Jay? I think that certainty isn't, isn't certainty the opposite of faith? Because faith is the belief in stuff we can't see. It's the evidence. It's like standing on ground that we don't, we don't really know. You know, I don't know. I think that's... For me, it's been a yeah, positive I mean, thing, and it's been scary uh, at the same time. But that isn't that real faith. Just thinking out loud. Yeah, I mean, Paul, Paul Tillich said the opposite of faith is is not doubt, but you know, because doubt is just an element of faith. Yeah. Now, doubt is built into faith, and it's kind of like hope. You you don't hope for something that you have. You know, hope has doubt in it. You know, uncertainty in it. Yeah. And so, I've always seen faith and hope as kind of cousins. So, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's the idea behind faith is that there's always going to be a, a bit of doubt yeah. in it, always. You yeah. know, I mean, even Jesus had doubt, you know, yeah. and, um, you know, take this cup from me, and my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, so you've got things like that that, you know, hopefully wake you up a little bit. And it's finding the the security in it, too, that which is really difficult. When you've had, you know, certainty as your security for so long, um, I think that's part of my, my struggles with addiction was... I had a really early age seeing that, oh, you know, either this is bullshit or I'm just going to hell. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, I had that in my life too at, at a time where I definitely thought I was going straight to hell. Yeah. I don't believe in hell anymore. So it doesn't bother <laughs> me, but yeah. you know, yeah. there's a time where I was really afraid. Yeah. Dante's Inferno had a big, uh, <laughs> big impact on big big impact on on the church of of, of you know on the church and, and as a whole you know and reading books like Galatians I kind of had my Luther moment you know just wait a second Grace what's this all about you know yeah. like kind of this hidden gem that uh, really threw me off and and shook my world you know and even even now as I have more doubt than I've ever had before and you know I don't know what God is or isn't but. I do know that grace is still something that's very real and true to me. And then I went to an event in Belfast, Ireland called Wake, and Pete was speaking, Pete Rollins puts it together, and he was speaking, and he said, you know, grace is the freedom from the pursuit of happiness. And I've yeah. never seen grace that way. You know, I've never seen grace as just this acceptance thing, but grace is, yeah, you're going to be miserable. You're going to have hardships. You're going to go through this, and, and you know, the grace is knowing that that's okay, you know, that it's not about something that can make you happy. It's not about this ultimate goal, you know, this object that's going to somehow give you peace, you know. It's not learning to live life on life's terms, which is also something that you learn from AA. Yeah, absolutely. That was one of the yeah. troubles I had with, with uh, you know, one of the troubles I had. The, the, the serenity prayer used to bug me. Like, I didn't like it at first. <laughs> and then being forced to say it at the end of the group was like, yeah, fuck this, man, you know. But, uh, because I think I think my, my reaction to it was this kind of trying to stuff it in me from the outside. And I just didn't, like, I no, that doesn't work. You know, that's bullshit. Yeah. But I think it's the fruit. I, I think it's the fruit of that, you know, what w of grace. The fruit of grace is serenity is it not it is it is and, and but it's also realizing you've got um but it's also being okay to accept the moments of pain and accept the moments of loss and, and not feeling like you belong the things we can and can't influence Change, yeah 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 absolutely you know like there's a lot i wish i could have changed this past year in my life but i couldn't change it it wasn't up to me you know and um Kind of getting into a point of acceptance and surrounding myself by you know with with thinkers and and, and diverse people kind of really helped me move forward. Yeah, um, I cried out to God and I never felt like God showed up, but but people did. Yeah, sometimes that's the only way we can see God. You know, as as people. You know. Yeah, that's. And I don't think God can exist without people. Yeah, God isn't coming down with some loudspeaker from some cloud somewhere, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> it would be nice. Yeah, it would be nice. 
I prayed that prayer for a while myself. You know? <laughs> a fucking email or something, God? Come on. You know? Yeah, I feel you, brother. Well, hey, man. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Uh, thanks for, 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 for what you do in the world. You know, I appreciate guys like you and that you're still out there doing it. You know, you're still out there being a pastor. You ever get that question? Like, why, Jay? Like, why, why be uh, All the time. in ministry? You know, I even get it from other pastors. You know, <laughs> that's great. I mean, I mean that was a, an issue in my 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 last marriage. You know, mm. why don't you just do something else? And it's because I'm I'm haunted. I'm tormented by a ghost or specter, uh, something that won't let it go. You yeah. know, this grace and this love that calls me to love my enemies and, and try to to see both sides of the story and uh, and meet people where they're at rather than where they should be. Yeah. You know, keeps bringing me back, you know. And there's a part of me that wishes I could just freaking get out of it um, and, and do something else with my life. But, you know, then you learn to embrace doubt and you learn to embrace questions and you learn to embrace disbelief. And sometimes I'm a Christian, sometimes I'm an agnostic, sometimes I'm an atheist. Um, I'm lucky enough to have a church uh, group of people who listen online and people who attend in person where I'm able to be vulnerable and transparent with yeah. about that. And um, and you know what? They're all at the same place, too. And I don't have to believe on their behalf, which is really nice. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to be like the... No. You know, you come in there and try and solve everyone's problems. That's that weird kind of cult-like mentality that a lot of us grew up in, you know? I definitely did. I mean, I thought, wow, this guy's got all the answers. But, you know, for an hour a week, yeah, of course he does. Yeah, exactly. And in his dark times, he's doing what everyone else does, right? He's just sitting there going, right. what the hell is <laughs> What's life about? Uh, I try to put my demons on display. You know, it's one of the things. And, and I don't necessarily do it because I want to or it's, it's, it's premeditated. I do it because it's what I've got, and I use the tools that I have. And if that tool of the time is me being completely broken, I've shown up in the past year to Sunday and said, I can't do service today. I don't have anything to give you. I'm completely broken. We're all just going to sit and talk. And I've, um, on Easter, I just, I did Jesus's moment, doubt and pain and crucifixion. And I said, you know what? There's no room in my life right now for resurrection. Cause I just, I'm not feeling it with everything that I'm going through. And, uh, so people were able to kind of sit there and, and, and share my pain and, and, and know that they're not going to show up and get something that I don't have. I'm not going to, I don't have a pretend show to put on. You know, I mean, there's a bunch of sermons I could preach to make them, you know, think that I had it all together. But um, there's something that, and this is what's funny is people don't realize, there's something that my parents, both my, both my father and my mother, built in me always be very completely honest and transparent and real with people and, and people wouldn't think that coming from them right um but but that was something that was uh, taught to me at a very young age and that love always trumps anything um and even even if if, if the bible gets away of you loving someone you know throw the bible away so you know i i'm, I'm grateful for that yeah, as my friend Jim Henderson said, love 
in its full form when it's and some of this is my words but but love in its f total radiant form changes the rules you know yeah it changes the rules of, of how we interact with one another um yeah it really does i mean it it it, it lowers the bar yeah yeah exactly so true Jay, thanks again, man. I appreciate you. Yeah, you're welcome. So people thanks can find me on. Uh, people can uh, yeah, hey, it's my my uh, honor, brother, that you would uh, stop by this uh, kind of punk rock sort of smelly uh, DIY show. <laughs> well, punk rock kept me alive, so. <laughs> yeah. oh, we appreciate that, man. Yeah. So people can get a hold of you on uh, on Instagram. You got uh, yep on Instagram. We've got a Revolution MN, which is our church site. But I'm just Jay Baker with two Ks. Okay. On Instagram, or they can go to RevolutionChurch.com and see us there. We're also on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. So yeah, we're we're available there, and our podcast is wherever you can find podcasts. It's right. Revolution Church. So and the Loosen the Bible Belt podcast is coming soon. Coming soon, yep. We're uh, hopefully going to be recording the first one here in the next week. Oh, nice. All right. Thanks again, Jay. Appreciate You're welcome, it, man. Thank you. You're a creature of habit, Barbara. We all are. Unfortunately, not all of your habits are good ones. This was how your day started. Started wrong. Shut up! Thanks for listening to Punk Theology. Wanna make a punk robot joyful, jovial, jolly, beautiful? Hit that subscribe button. Like, as if the PT podcast was your Lyft driver. Would you please leave PT that coveted 5-star review? Thanks. You fucking rock. You can email the punks at punktheologypod at gmail.com. Yeah, they would love to read yours on the show. Follow Punk Theology on Twitter. At Punk Theology Pod. And don't forget to join the Facebook group, Punk Theology Pub. The Punk Theology Podcast is the sole property of DigitalAudioProject.com, LLC. Who is responsible for its content? Don't chicken out!